Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm really excited today. My guest is Ifat Sheltiel. She's an assisted reproductive law attorney and is founder and director of Surrogate Steps, a surrogacy matching agency. She's been featured as a surrogacy expert on surrogacy mates at various venues, including MSNBC, Fox News, the United Nations Commission, Cornell University, the Women's Bar Association of the State of New York, and Building Your Family Organization, and she's testified on surrogacy in front of the New York State Legislature. Welcome, Ifat. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's such a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me, Catherine. You know, so many of my clients have dealt with surrogacy issues and other sort of infertility issues that sort of come in and are sort of part of their marriage story and then obviously become part of their divorce story since that's what I do. And I think that for some people, um, they might not really know what surrogacy is. And it would be great if you would explain it and uh, maybe explain how the laws in New York have just recently changed and made this an option. For, for couples who might not have had the option before. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, first I want to say, if I can, that, yes, infertility, really, it affects approximately 12% of all couples. And I myself went through infertility and uh, marriage and a divorce. So I, I know firsthand that this can really put a lot of stress on a couple, for sure. Surrogacy is amazing because it is able to help people who go through infertility, who uh, perhaps have a low sperm count, if they have poor egg quality, if they're not able to carry. And there's so many reasons why people are not able to carry. It might be perhaps cancer or kidney disease. So there's a lot of reasons why people have to go through this route, including as well, on a happy note, the LGBT community as well, to have babies in this form as well. So what surrogacy does, and there is two different types of of surrogacies, but basically it allows people to create an embryo, either using their own sperm and their own egg or potentially a donor sperm and donor egg if that's what they need, to create an embryo in the lab. And that embryo is then implanted into another woman, a third party, for the purposes of her carrying that child to term. So that woman is the surrogate. And basically, there is two types of surrogacy. So we have what we call a traditional surrogate, and then there is a gestational carrier. And most people, it, it, most people use gestational surrogacy. And the difference being is that the gestational carrier is carrying a child 
that is not related to her. Where in traditional surrogacy, which is more rare, but I've certainly had clients who have gone this route as well, where the surrogate is essentially also the egg donor. So she's carrying a child that is also genetically connected to her. And as you can imagine, there's a more risky process. There might be a lot of emotional issues, legal issues, a, a lot of different issues that can be created in a traditional surrogacy. And that's why most people proceed the gestational carrier route. And I couldn't talk about this forever, but... No, no, this is great. I just want to be clear just for our listeners. It sounds like that the main difference between the two different kinds of surrogacy are whether or not the woman carrying the pregnancy is also the biological mother of the child. A hundred percent. That is correct. And so in traditional surrogacy, she's the biological parent as well because she uh, has used, they used her egg to create that embryo and, and that's how that baby uh, was created. Where in some states, even though someone might be using a gestational carrier, and the gestational carrier is not genetically related to that child. She might still be considered the legal mother, depending on the state that you're looking at. Thankfully, most of the U.S. now is much more surrogate friendly. And that leads us right up to New York, where New York was one of those states or is actually as of February 15th, uh, the law will change. But prior to February 15th, the law in New York is such that whether or not the surrogate is traditional or gestational, whether or not she has any genetic connection to that child whatsoever, the law recognizes her as the mother just by birth, just because she gave birth to the child, even though she has no intention of creating any type of child-parent bond with that child, and even though she's completely in the agreement and understanding that she's just a surrogate carrying a child and helping another couple achieve their dream and their goal of having a baby. So that's the biggest difference. And now... As of February 15th, that law is now going to change and it's going to recognize that if you have the intent to be a parent and you proceed to have a child through surrogacy, as long as it is a gestational carrier, it won't recognize traditional carriers, but as long as it is a gestational carrier, that gestational carrier is recognized as the surrogate. And the child is recognized as the child of the intended parent who intended to have that child through the assisted reproductive technology. So what have people done up until now in New York if they were interested in working with a, with a surrogate? And again, many of our clients have had used surrogates. Have they gone out of state? Have they just sort of adopted the child at birth? How's that worked up until now? Yeah. So, so in New York, you know, it's, it's tricky because a lot of people can't afford to go outside the state of New York to pay for a surrogate to have a child for them. A lot of them uh, want to use maybe someone who is their friend who, as of before this law is changing, they're not even allowed to compensate a surrogate at all. So even though they want to give a gift to perhaps their friend who's going to be their surrogate, they are not even allowed to give her any gift because it's just illegal under New York law until this law is changing in February 15th. So what they have done up until now 
is they would proceed with a carrier, perhaps their friend, family member. Usually that's what it is, but it has been also someone that they just self-matched. But most of the time, it's a friend or family member. And they enter into an arrangement. They're not allowed to have a contract between them because that is completely unenforceable under the law. And what they do is they have a memorandum of understanding which sets forth everyone's intentions and everyone's understanding of the surrogacy arrangement. Nothing's enforceable at all. And they can't do anything about parentage until after that child is born. So they wait for the child to be born. It creates a lot of issues in the hospital, as you might be able to imagine. If the surrogate is having the child I'm in a New York hospital, then that hospital is not going to recognize the intended parents as the parents. If there's any question, uh, any any decisions that need to be made in terms of the child and vaccinations or whatever health issues relating to that child, the doctors, nurses, everyone turns to the gestational carer to make those decisions. And the parents just have to be hopeful and have enough trust that that carrier is going to do whatever they decide to do and and to proceed with their decision. So if they say yes to vaccinations, that the surrogate will do the same. But the surrogate herself cannot surrender any rights that she has to that child until after the child is born. And only after the child is born can the court issue a parentage order saying um, that the intended parents are the legal parents. And only after a few months, the parents are going to get an amended birth certificate with their names on it. So it's just been a very, very different process where a lot of they have to put a lot of trust into this other individual, not only with their dream, with their baby, but with everything. She's they just have to trust that she's going to do the right thing and follow this memorandum of understanding that everyone enters into in the beginning of the surrogacy relationship. I just want to remind people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues and that we're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm speaking today with Ifad Sheltiel about reproductive law, and particularly with regard to surrogacy. Yes. So now with the new law in New York, what's going to be fascinating about that is that whereas before we had to wait until after the baby is born to get any type of parentage order and everything. You had to put so much trust into this individual with no contract in place. And in some instances, not only could you not even get a birth order, but you had to go through an entire adoption process. For example, if the intended mother used an egg donor, then she's not genetically related to that child, even though she had every intent to create that embryo and create that child and was there every step of the process, the New York law would not recognize her as a parent at all unless she does an adoption. Now, under the new law, all that is going to change. And as long as you follow all the requirements in the statute, and you, for example, have a gestational carrier agreement, which is the contract between the intended parents and the gestational carrier. As long as you have that contract in place, then, a, and you follow all the rules of the statute, then you're going to be recognized as the legal parent when that child is born. 
we're still going to go to court and we're still, there's a lot we're going to learn as we go along in terms of how the statute is going to be implemented, what the judges, how the judges are going to react, how the hospital will react because all the hospitals have their own regulations as well. Um, so there's a lot that we're going to learn because it's all very new, but at least we're going to have a contract that's enforceable. And we're going to be able to get people recognized as the parents, even if there's no genetic connection. So it seems really as if the way it's been up and done is currently through February 15th is that essentially it's it's kind of just like a private placement adoption. But I mean, from a legal perspective and the risk that the intended parents have that the carrier will change her mind is not insubstantial. Yes, in a way, because when it comes to the intended mother, we have to go to the courts. We have to prove that there is a genetic connection. We have to prove all the custody when it comes to the embryos and the embryo creation and and the entire surrogacy arrangement and that there is a genetic connection for that intended mother to be able to get the parentage order and the surrogate has to surrender her rights. But what's so interesting, Catherine, I always just found this fascinating is that the law is actually a little bit discriminatory when it comes to that because when it comes to the intended fathers, as long as they're using their own sperm, so they have that genetic connection, then it's a much easier process for them because in terms of getting the intended father on that birth certificate, I should say. So it's a little bit discriminatory because it's a lot easier for them. They don't have to necessarily wait until the surrogate surrenders her rights. They have that genetic connection. They're going to be the legal father. Whatever presumption might be in place if the surrogate is married, we can rebut that in court. Where it gets complicated for a single father, um, where it does get really complicated for them, is even if they have that genetic connection right now, that there's no way for them to actually get the gestational carrier off of that birth certificate unless they do an adoption. And that was a really big issue for one of my clients where they, they just simply, there was no way they had to do an adoption in order to get her name off of that birth certificate. That was the only way to do it. And then not every judge is like that, which is the problem, because some judges say, well, if you have a genetic connection, you can't do an adoption. You are the legal parent and you we're going to give you what is called, you know, the paternity order um, in order of affiliation is, is where what it's called in some counties. And if we proceed with that route, then you end up with the problem. Well, now we have a gestational carrier on a birth certificate and there is no way to, to take her off of that birth certificate unless there's an adoption. Yeah, I mean, I just sound really from a legal total mess, really. With, exactly. With, like the law wasn't didn't anticipate this kind of science. A hundred percent, yes, because the science developed much faster and New York was definitely is one of the last one of the last states to uh, recognize uh, surrogacy and as legal and enforce surrogacy contracts. So maybe we could just sort of back up to the IVF and surrogacy 
processes and what the choices are along the way and how it works. And so you could explain to the listeners exactly what the process is and what the choices are along the way that, and the, the, the options, I guess. Sure. Well, I can explain that from certainly my perspective as having to go through it myself, certainly as director of surrogate steps in our agency, we have a lot of surrogates and we're always in touch with them about everything that's happening. But obviously, I'm not, no uh, medical professional, but I'm definitely happy to just briefly explain. Uh, there's a lot of different types of fertility treatments that people can, can go through. Um, when it comes to surrogacy itself, what, the way that people do that is usually through a process called IVF. That's how they proceed. So that's in vitro fertilization. So basically, if you have a heterosexual couple, let's say, and, and they're able to use their own eggs and sperm, let's say. So what they do is the intended father provides his sperm and the intended mother has to go through an egg retrieval procedure so that they can extract her eggs. And what they do, I mean, it's actually quite fascinating. What, what they do is inside a picture dish, they place the egg with sperm. And actually, they have new technology. Well, it's not as new anymore, but it's called ICSI. And it's this amazing procedure where the embryologist in the lab basically takes the egg and injects a sperm into that egg using a special syringe, which basically causes fertilization. So from that point on, as soon as the egg is fertilized, um, it starts multiplying cells. And as more cells and cells multiply, it becomes an embryo. And usually by day five, so from the time that they do this injection and, and they create this embryo, once it reaches day five, it's considered a blastocyst. And that's usually when the embryologists freeze the embryos or transfer them either to a surrogate or the intended mother if she's able to carry on her own. So usually in the cases of surrogates, in more occasions, what they do is what they call is a frozen cycle, which means the embryos get frozen. And then when the surrogate is ready, when the parents locate a surrogate and, and after they go through the contract process and, and all the medical screening, then they thaw the embryo and they place that embryo inside the surrogate's uterus for the purposes of conceiving. And usually by the time they actually do that IVF procedure with the surrogate, that surrogate at that point in time after that embryo transfer is considered two weeks pregnant. And then 10 days after that, they're able to do a blood test to see if it took or not and to see what her hormones levels are like. And then between all of that, there's also a lot of needles involved and a lot of different medication that the doctors use to basically trick the surrogate's body into thinking that it's pregnant already. Wow. So um, <laughs> it, it sounds like that's a, a course where you're using one or both of the intended parents genetics, for lack of a Correct. better word, yeah. right? And so right. I've had a lot of situations where the child is the result of the surrogacy using the father of the intended parents, sperm, and an egg donor. So what are the, are there any legal rights for the egg donor in, in that situation? 
So when it comes to an egg donor, uh, the egg donor is usually, she's either a known egg donor, which is someone that they know and they're familiar with, or it's someone that is anonymous. And it's always best legally to proceed with someone who is anonymous. Now, under the New York law, it's going to be very clear that the donor has no rights at all. But we still, there's a contract in place, even with when the donor is unknown. Okay, I can get into that a little bit further, but there's always a document that that egg donor signs with the full understanding that she's an egg donor and that the minute her eggs are retrieved, that she forfeits any legal rights that she has to those eggs and anything that might happen with those eggs, whether they are used in a fertilization process to create a child, any future child, whether the eggs are going to be frozen, whether they might be discarded or used for uh, medical research purposes. So she just forfeits all any rights that she has as an egg donor to do that. And usually there's a contract in place either between the egg donor and the clinic or the egg donor and the intended parents clearly stating that she's an egg donor, a lot of the times anonymous egg donor, and that she it, it goes through all all the different procedures and all the different items that that happens during an egg retrieval process and that she forfeits all of her and surrenders all of her rights to those eggs. All right. That's a lot. And I have a follow-up question, but I also want to remind people that this is Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and we're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX 1460 AM, and we're also available as a podcast. And I'm talking today with Ifat Sheltiel about reproductive rights and particularly surrogacy. And Ifat, if people want to learn more about your agency or about you, how can they do that? Because you're giving so much information. I really want to make sure that people have an opportunity to follow up if if they are interested. Sure, absolutely. They can. Uh, the easiest way to find me is surrogatesteps.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, username surrogatesteps. Uh, they can also call me directly if they would like at 202-802-0257. All right. That's great. So do you have an opinion? I mean, this might be dangerous territory about whether or not it's better. I mean, my experience is that it can sometimes put a lot of pressure on a a relationship to have a child or children where one one person is biologically related and the other isn't. And this is true in heterosexual couples and in LGBTQ couples, you know, where where it's not possible for both parents to be related. And so, you know, I guess a couple has to make a decision. Is one of us going to be biologically related or are neither of us going to be if that becomes in a surrogate? situation. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, I certainly, so I have a lot of LGBT clients and I, I'll take one of my clients specifically, two male uh, married, and they wanted a child, one from each of them. So they did one journey with, with one of the embryos and they have a beautiful baby girl. Um, and this was also through my agency. And then they wanted to do a second journey. And with their second journey, they, they still had embryos from the other parent, but they weren't as good. And so they really just chose, um, decided, 
rather based on genetic, just decided to go with the best embryo so that they have the most successful uh, chance of having another child. So they did that and they got pregnant again. And now they're still pregnant. They're due in, in July. <laughs> but what I found with my clients is that they really just want a baby and they want a healthy baby and they just care about what is the best embryo that they can use. And a lot of them also send their embryos to do what is called PGD testing. So it's a special lab that will take a cell from that particular embryo and they'll test it for potential genetic diseases. And it's not every genetic disease, but it's a lot of them. And then they'll be able to tell tell the clients and the patients, you know, who which embryo is is best with no genetic issues and so forth. So when it comes to surrogacy and this whole process, there's a lot. Obviously, it's a very emotional process. It's a lot to go through. It's a very different way of having a baby for sure. And there is also psychological counseling. I know our clients do psychological counseling. A lot of clinics require that. And so when people proceed and would like to proceed using an egg donor or a sperm donor, you know, they do that, I think, with full comfort that they really just want a healthy baby and that the genetic parts are not as important. All right. So we don't have a lot of time left, but in our last few seconds, how can a surrogacy agency help briefly? (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot in very little. Okay. Uh, Well, it assists in matching the intended parents with a surrogate who is, who has uh, been approved. We've approved her medical background. We've made sure that she's had uh, OBG clearance so that her doctor says it's okay for her to, to have a baby. Um, we basically coordinate uh, all the screening for that care to make sure that we are getting them a trusted individual to have the baby for them because this is I'm the most important there. thing I, people have. Yeah, I think <laughs> okay. that's a really important thing. Eva uh, Chelfield, thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much.